Alright, people. Alright. Wait there. Alright. What do we have here? Let me just check. I is live, people. Doing it. Doing it. Un momentico. Alright. <laughs> Let me just flip this back here. Flip that over there. Right now we're doing it, doing it. All right. So first of all, can everybody hear me okay? Let me just check. I've, I've got a whole new mic system, people. Here it is. Look at that. <laughs> this is magic. Had the sehar, sehar, mahaza. It's way too late, people. Asrar is my dad. Sheikh Asrar is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's dad. Sheikh Asrar, acha. Un momentico. Let me just share this out to my other page. For, um, if I could just get a sound check by the Genta. <laughs> Wagwan. All right. Zulu Warrior, you're doing it. You're doing it. Salam from Houston. Houston. We have a problem. <laughs> I need. I'm not getting no. Uh, let me just share this first. Just be a second, people. A second. There it is. Yep, that's that's me. Right there. Q and A. Live and unrestricted people. And that's done. Alright. Inna alhamdulillahi wa kafah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi al-mustafa. Wa ala ibadihi al-lazina artaba. Wa man bihudahu mehtada. Wa bi-athari ahli al-madina tiqtafa. Wa ba'ad. People, fa-salamullahi ala al-qawm. Ahlam wa sahlam bikum wa marhaban. Juan Ying Lighter, bienvenidos. De nuevo esta semana, people, and swagatam, swagatam. So, what is going on? What is going on? What is going? Que lo que, mi gente? Que lo que? What's bothering the awesome folk? You know what? This is a little problem now. Hmm. This mic has me so uh, <laughs> pushed up against the whole... <laughs> Let me just bring up my Facebook gente. Just make sure I've got the... I know what they're saying. What's going on. Alright, there they are. Yeah, on. You could do it. Yeah, there they are. Alright, people. So... Mufti threw my week off last week by not showing up. Allah. Gustahi maf. Energy Gustahi maf. Mufti, are you going to debate Sheikh Asrar? Sheikh Asrar ji ab He's, you know what the, the problem is? It's, guys, it's gone beyond that now. There's a, 
<laughs> this has now become an addiction, an obsession for Sheikh Hasan. <laughs> you see, I warn people that, you see, I have this, it's a curse, people. I have this thing about my personality that if you get too much, <laughs> if you focus on me too much, you'll get addicted. <laughs> and that's the problem with my beloved, my beloved Sheikh Asrar. He's now he's addicted. He can't get me out of his mind. Yeah, this is this is what I was saying. You know, I there's people out there who have this trouble. They're being chased by the opposite gender. They're having all this with exes. They're having all this going on. And me, I've got people like Sheikh Asrar obsessed about me. <laughs> right, I wouldn't be surprised if he does dream about me. You know, this week, Sheikh Asrar has been begging it so much. <laughs> I mean, he's made in one week two posts about me. Just two posts about me in one week. I, I, I'm like, wow. I didn't realize I preoccupy your thoughts to that extent. And, 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 and somebody had messaged me that he's gone live about me right now at my timing. <laughs> this is it. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Allah, right. So let's t let's take a look at what is it that's bothering the people. So we're going to take a look at some questions today. Obviously, I will be coming to my sheikh, my beloved, my beloved Asrar. I'll be coming to him towards the end, masala segment, masala, mufti masala. Right, but I'll be taking a look at some serious issues as well today. Uh, the uh, the whole marriage of the Prophet to Zainab, uh, responding to the atheist claims that this was the Prophet lusting over another man's wife and debunking these false claims. And I'll also talk about how that originated. How did it creep into Islam or, or into some narrations of Islam? I'll take a look at that as well. But also... Somebody's saying speak into the microphone. It's not. Is it not catching my voice? Is this not catching? Is it not? Does it not? Ca does it not catch my voice? Kya? Maha. Ya salam. Ya salam. Right. So link to that live stream. R Village wars. Can you speak about Ridda wars? Ridda wars. Doubles no nothing compared to Asrar's live feed, which doubles your viewers. Va, Sheikh Asrar is live now. You see, this is what happens when you get so obsessed with me that you even try to imitate the Monday nights with Mufti. <laughs> yes, yeah, Salam. Such, <laughs> it's a curse, people. It's a curse. <laughs> I, I have this effect on people. It's not. Uh, something to be proud of. <laughs> you know, as uh, the poet said, Ke ye husn bhi kya buri bala hai. Jisne dali buri nazar dali. Hai, 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 hai. 
before we, he said that this that this beauty is a, a thing that is is a curse that whosoever glanced upon it did so with malicious intent <laughs> but i don't know what <laughs> beauty sheikh asrar sees <laughs> maybe he reminds him of uh, madrasa days you know this one <laughs> right so right what's going on what is going on people people just saying hello come on bro why don't you both sit together why don't you both sit together man just sit together man <laughs> you see the thing is i've told you sheikh asrar's heartache is beyond that now it's it's not about this is beyond therapy now <laughs> But I love it. <laughs> the effect I have on people by just sitting here using my internet for two hours a week and just broadcasting and the effect it has on people's lives and minds and the way they become obsessed. <sighs> this one nice, you know, this one. So views on what is going on let's take a look at some what's preoccupying mi gente people an actual fatwa that it's haram even <laughs> you've tried and so have others mm, i'm trying to look for some questions live now the flawed methodology of abu laith hi 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 <laughs> that's the story of my life flaws full of flaws <laughs> and yet i still have this devastating effect on these individuals ah shame on them <laughs> how they beg for my attention to stay relevant <laughs> so Let's get started with what's been going on this week. What are some... Somebody's asking about uh, a fiqhi straight away into an usuli question. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, somebody said, you speak negatively of Bahari Mirpuri. Mirpuri vi sari apni bolia. Why would I speak negatively of mirpuri let me just see up ah oh, damn the question's gone and like that it's gone what can we do so mm -hmm. did did ibn abbas and and ibn mas'ud say idle talk refers to music in the quran these things are not established well established and the point is that first of all they're not that clearly established the chains they're not that clearly established and even if they are i'm not saying that there's never been an opinion of somebody no matter how virtuous the person was that music is haram i'm sure there's been many a soul who's who've looked down upon music with you know as muharram as haram but the question is Ultimately, Allah, Atiullah wa Atiur Rasul. 
<laughs> Bring us the Quran and the Sunnah. The Quran or the Sunnah? The clear Quran or the clear Sunnah? Then, you know, then, you know, <laughs> let us, uh, then we'll speak. Obviously, if it's not the clear Quran, the clear Sunnah, then opinions of people, we respect them. You know, somebody can say, look, I don't want to listen to music. Don't listen to it. And end of story. Why is it bothering anybody else? Mufti, are you going to attend the Ramadi Saab event in Birmingham? I'm not 100% sure. I am trying to arrange to meet up with Ramadi Saab when he's here. Uh, I'll see how that goes. I do have, I'm trying to see, I do have a psychology kind of like event as well going on on the same date when he's here. So I'm a bit, hmm, I don't know. And that's kind of all booked as well. So I've got to see how it's happening. But I hear Ramadi Saab's here for uh, a short while. So let's see if we can arrange something to meet him. Um, right. Allah, but then Zara, Istamir, Istamir, continue. Zara, But if you disagree, then back to Allah and His Messenger only solamente okay so this is the problem you see they don't read the full verse <laughs> then they say my methodology is flawed <laughs> ah, this happens all right mark lonzetta you're doing it you're doing it one moment could you explain the main dispute between imam malik and Laith ibn sa'ad in fiqh uh Right, all right. What a fiqhy question. Right, so that's that sounds uh, intriguing. So those of you that don't know, Imam Malik is obviously... <clears throat> Sorry, I was just slightly distracted. Just trying to... There's a question here, right? Mark Lonzetta, I'm just going to come to your question. It's a very interesting one. Somebody here is repeating his question. Hamza, not Hamza, Yusuf, Yusuf Hamza. is <laughs> repeating his question. Can a pregnancy test waive the Idda period? emergency. <laughs> this is an emergency question. You know, there's a pregnancy test taking place. Shall we... Yusuf Hamza, shall we all wait whilst you get the results? <laughs> Do you want to share if it's a, is it a one strike or a two strike? <laughs> and some of us can quickly provide your link to, uh, <laughs> we can provide that to, uh, to the CSA, Child Support Agency. <laughs> Right, so can the, but okay, let's let's help brother Yusuf Hamza, who's having a little issue, which makes sense, people, makes sense, obviously, pregnancy, not to be taken lightly. <laughs> 
So can it waive, can the test waive the Idda period? Well, I would say no. Uh, I would say the Idda period is simply a grace period uh, following a talaq, a divorce. Oh, sorry. So, sorry. Sorry, sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> right, so... Um, but I, I would add that the idda is not just for, it's not just for the pregnancy. The pregnancy is a key factor, but I think sometimes uh, it has other social ramifications. It is important to understand that the idda is simply a prohibition of nikah, nothing else. Uh, the woman can do as she pleases, you know, she can work, go out, shopping, leisure, do whatever she wants. The simple prohibition is at least one menstrual cycle, uh, one month at the least, or generally speaking, three menstrual cycles, where there is no new nikah. The reason for this, it has other kind of like social uh, procedures in place, and it's to really, I think, it's to prov it's to um, promote or prevent a lack of social cohesion so people sometimes like i've mentioned this before if 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 a marriage ended today and the girl let's say somebody got married again immediately tomorrow or the day after this can sometimes lead to a huge amount of uh, social unrest like people saying oh maybe you know this is the reason this relationship broke down is you, this was being plotted in fact maybe there was an affair going on this whole while maybe you know this is and it would just it's just there's so much of a headache involved that you see the sharia had a lot of wisdom in placing a grace period in just allowing people to kind of just move on even if it's within a certain amount of weeks with their own lives and then kind of like embark on new relationships it also prevents sometimes it gives the time or reflection period to uh, avoid the kind of being on the rebound <laughs> you know, it's sometimes some people are on the rebound you know so they're like I know I make a mistake, you know, this one, I rush into this relationship. <laughs> so it gives them some kind of thinking. Okay, so, uh, cool. All right, so that's that. Uh, right, so, uh, right, I thought it was to make sure she's not pregnant, somebody said. That's also one of the wisdoms. There's plenty of wisdom. Wisdom galore, people. <laughs> wisdom galore. Oh, ye of little faith. Have some more faith in this faith. Right, let's come to Mark Lonzetta's question. All right, so Mark Lonzetta has asked the question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. R.S. Blessings. Va. Much love right back at you. Look at this. Super chats, sending super chats to to kind of support this effort and this channel. Wah, wah, wah. Right, so the... And then we've got somebody who's posted six times. Hey, bro, is master... Is masturbation haram? Is master... <laughs> I've heard of masturbation. Is it masturbation? Masturbation. Right, that, uh, 
well, guys, what's involved in this mass tour? <laughs> and he's written it six times in capital letters. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, people. Is uh, is this? Uh, hmm. Well, <laughs> maybe we should just let uh, man's a legend. Man's a legend, isn't it? Man's a legend, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? Isn't it, cousin, bro? So <laughs> let's get back to uh, the question about Imam Malik and uh, about uh, Imam Layth ibn Sa'ad. These are both dons of the era. They're contemporaries. They're people who um, uh, who have uh, really contributed to the understanding of this theme. Okay. Uh, Hudayfa, shukran, shukran, much love. Right. So the, the um, Imam Malik was the don of Medina. He lived in Medina. He represents the school of Medina. Layth ibn Sa'ad is a contemporary who was from what is modern-day Cairo. Back then they called it Fustat. Now he lived over there. He had a different way of thinking, different perspective of this deen. And they clashed on certain things. But on many things they had a sense of agreement. Um, uh, Layth ibn Sa'ad was in great awe of Imam Malik. Um, and even though sometimes some people quote some statements of certain scholars to say Layth ibn Sa'ad was more knowledgeable than Imam Malik but this one hyperbole you know this one exaggeration <laughs> no but Layth ibn Sa'ad was a great scholar he was also somebody who prayed in Sadal by the way you know in Salah he kept his hands at the side as is the school of Medina as is Imam Malik uh, and his method and they had many um, similarities but there's a popular letter that is published in which Imam Malik writes to Layth ibn Sa'ad. Allah, imagine that, huh? You're getting, I mean, in this day, getting a letter or an email in this day and age from Imam Malik. <laughs> so the letter said, it gave him salam and it said, Innahu qad balaghani. Allah, Allah, Allah. Look at the style. Estilo, people, estilo. Imam Malik goes, it has reached me. Allah, Allah. This is why I love the Don of Medina. His style in representing the fiqh of the school of Medina. So he says it has reached me that you have begun to give rulings. Not begun, but you are giving rulings which are in opposition to the people of knowledge in Medina. And this is where this debate begins. So he writes this letter saying this. Now, what happens is uh, he, he mentions in there a few things. Imam Malik's letter isn't actually that lengthy. It's probably uh, something like about four or five paragraphs, four paragraphs probably, something like that. It's, it's published. I've got it here somewhere. Now, then Layth ibn Sa'ad replies to him. Now that's interesting because Layth ibn Sa'ad in his response is trying to critique the practice of Medina. And he says to Imam Malik that, but you know, you claim there's Amlu Ahlul Medina, there's the practice of the people of Medina in this, but how come Ibn Shihab Zuhri disagrees with this? And you say there's this, but how come this scholar disagrees with that over there? And he crit criticizes Ibn Shihab Zuhri as well. He says, you know, he 
when he's over there, he's saying something else. And when he's in Medina, he's saying something else. And, and he's trying to say to Imam Malik, I don't understand this consensus which you're speaking about. It's not a consensus. And I think in some ways he was right and wrong. You see, he was right in the fact that he misunderstood what is meant by Amlu Ahl al-Madina. You see, many people have misunderstood this. They think Imam Malik meant a consensus that everybody in Medina by and large agreed on this. That's not what he meant. He meant the, the well-established sunnah of the Prophet that is established through a thousand different people, even if there are five, hundreds of others that disagree with them. You understand? So when a hadith comes from one person to another person to the Prophet, imagine having that same teaching but from a thousand. So this is why Imam Malik said, Alfun an alf ahabu ilayya min wahid an wahid. That a thousand from a thousand are much more beloved to me than just one on one. Because he said, Al wahid an wahid yanzi'uddin min bayni yadayk. That it will snatch the deen from right in front of you. Bearing in mind, people, keep this in mind, that Imam Malik has the strongest chain in hadith ever by the measurement of Imam Bukhari himself. So that is called the golden chain when it's one-on-one. -on -one. But he himself rejects that at times, saying that I will take the, the en masse tr transmission. So this is uh, interesting. Right, so what is going on? What is going on? Recommend, right, we've got S. Miyagi doing it, Miyagi. Much love, much love right at you. Recommend me any books in Islamic finance. Oh, right, damn, that just... All right, please mention them slowly so that I can write them down. Hmm. See, that's interesting because um, I... You see, I'm not really too sure of what um, I'm not really too sure of what to recommend when it comes to things like finance, because you see, this is a very contemporary, a contemporaneous kind of discourse. You're not going to get classical books that are like that that discuss the, I mean, they discuss financial issues, of course they do, but finance today is a field in and of itself. It wasn't a field like this back then. So, you know, post-industrial uh, revolution, the whole financial field has changed, the change, the revolution in economics, Adam Smith, all these people that have contributed to the science of economics, they've revolutionized the way we think about money. Now, and wealth, then this has been further revolutionized in in our recent times, you know, with the whole thing where, I mean, first of all, taking it to mm, taking it to the kind of currency that we have, fiat currency, the way things are, you know, the whole system has now changed and now really cryptocurrency. So I think it's really difficult trying to recommend traditional Islamic books. As to contemporary books, I don't really, uh, I don't really know what contemporary uh, books to refer to because I've read a few, and they've not really been my kind of way of thinking. So I've not really, 
follow them through that much. My understanding is that our fiqh when it comes to finance is out of sync. We need to update the whole thing. It's completely out of sync. Uh, all these people, Sheikh Asrar is trying to get you in his live. <laughs> Tell him to pick a number and wait. <laughs> get in line. Get in line. <laughs> you see? Ah, he, I'll be addressing his issues uh, at the end in the masa masala segment. Masala segment. Right now, like everybody else, he can sit and watch. <laughs> right, so... Right, so what is going on, man? What is going on? Cool. So, yep, so the finance thing, I'm not really that... Um, I feel that finance is not a sacred kind of science in any way. And we are really to be part and parcel of our day and age. Let me just bring this up slightly. All right, let me just check. <laughs> testing, testing. <laughs> right, so... Uh, I think that we are not, uh, you know, we're not meant to be kind of obsessed with just the things of the past in that sense. Okay, there's nothing sacred about the dirham and the dinar, for example. They were simply just an extension of other currencies. The dinar was taken from the Roman dinari. That's where it comes from. That's why it's called dinar. And the dirham was taken from the Persian drachma. Okay, so that, and this is this is where these became came in circulation. There's nothing sacred about them. It's not like it's a sacred science. Cool. Somebody's asking, how's the keto diet? I mean, I haven't actually been on a keto, but I've been kind of dieting or watching my diet, and I've been working out, I mean, I work out anyway, but I've kind of upped the game on some cardio and um, trimming down. I've trimmed down a bit. <laughs> All right. Right, so that's it, really. What else is going on? Dervish Ottoman, you're doing it, doing it. Much love right back at you. So, Salamu Alaikum from Kuwait, Atif Ranaji. Kab. All the way from Minal Kuwait. Shukran, shukran. <laughs> MashaAllah. Did Abu Bakr al-Jassas restrict khamar to date and grape alcohol only? Right, so who's asking this? Uh, handsome hound. Oh, handsome hound. The hounds of hell are asking that what? <laughs> Did Abu Bakr al-Jassas? Now I like Abu Bakr al-Jassas from the Hanafiya. He's an, uh, uh, he's he's a great mind. Honestly, he's he's undervalued if you ask me by the Hanafis. I don't think the Hanafis really appreciate him as much as they ought to. He's a legend in my understanding. He's also one of the people, few people who had the courage to speak up and say that the Prophet did not have magic done onto him. Okay. Uh, unlike today, you've got these uh, <laughs> asrar, uh, meow, <laughs> of Ahl Sunnah, openly claiming that the, the Prophet had magic done onto him, became clumsy, did all these kind of things. This is, you see, this is the problem. 
and then they speak about we ought to respect the prophet i mean if you're calling the prophet clumsy and you're calling him forgetful and you're saying he forgot verses of the quran and but acha mashallah but you guys can remember them <laughs> the prophet forgot them but you guys can remember them shabash <laughs> and some of them go as far as saying the prophet became impotent so you've got these kind of you know this kind of nonsense being preached by people and Abu Bakr al-Jassas was one of the great minds in early Islam we're talking like something you know from today maybe 11 over 1100 years ago so he wrote clearly that anybody that says this is ignorant that the prophet never had was never bewitched or things like this and these are just stories that people have made up he was also somebody to debunk things like uh, uh, exorcisms and all this kind of stuff. Say that this is, you know, it's nonsensical in that sense. But uh, <laughs> Sheikh Asrar is El Gato, El Gato, El Gato de Ahle Meow. <laughs> right. So, but the but come uh, speaking of Jassas, Abu Bakr al Jassas. <coughs> He, um, I do have a book somewhere dedicated to the, uh, the discourse on alcohol and how people kind of began to dis disagree amongst it within the, uh, within the Islamic uh, world. But the Hanafis did feel that alcohol was restricted. Khamar in the Quran was restricted to just dates and grapes. That's it. So really it's, and that's it. And everything else they said you couldn't call it Khamar, but you could call it an intoxicant but everything else by default so most of the beer today and things like this are which I mean from grapes really it's just going to be wine or maybe brandy things like that you're not going to really get uh, I mean that that's really that that's that field only really most of beers and other kind of spirits and things like this today uh, will be produced Will, will not fall under the Khamar category according to several Hanafis they will fall under intoxicants but they by default um, if they don't intoxicate they're not meant to be haram in according to many of the Hanafis in essence like meaning that if they were weak if they were weak in um, in their kind of percentage of alcohol uh, now this is why many scholars do say and I played in the past a clip of Uthaymeen as well, where they say that if something intoxicates, about it has about 3% alcohol. In fact, that's what Uthaymeen's clip, which is on YouTube, saying that if he has 2-3% alcohol, it's okay. <laughs> He's like, Yaar, kabhi kabhi. <laughs> what is it? Pani se pyas na bhuji, to khane ki taraf chal nikle. This is, this is uh, Sheikh Uthaymeen Sahib. Somebody saying, can I get a message from a woman? Goose Spring, what the hell is going on here? People, where's my admin? <laughs> oh, can a man get a message from a uh, message from a woman? What does that even mean? Four shots of 3%. All right, can a man get a massage? <laughs> you see people the difference between one vowel <laughs> those of you that undermine vowels shame on you 
You thought she was trying to message you and you were ignoring her. Are yaar, she was trying to give them a massage, not the message. <laughs> or if you turn up for a massage and she, and she says it was message, it was massage, message, not massage. <laughs> Lena Kass, Mufti, can you do my nikah? <laughs> Would you really want somebody like me performing the nikah? You want to go to these traditional molanas, they come and they'll do the whole, the you know, the customary traditional routine. Somebody like me, people would be like, what the hell? <laughs> I thought they, a Mufti was going to come as well. <laughs> right, so... Mm, can drugs which alter consciousness are they also haram? I, you see, I don't believe that psychedelics are necessarily haram. Okay, now things like DMT. I'm not saying that people need to be doing these things, but what I'm saying is I don't believe that they're haram per se. So, right, so, uh, Abu Layth, you don't fear Allah lying against his Sharia constantly. <laughs> against his Sharia constantly lying. You don't fear. This is the problem. <laughs> fearing Allah I love Allah how about that <laughs> my, my concept or my understanding of God is obviously slightly different to your understanding of God so uh, you see to me God is not this kind of angry uh, jealous kind of like somebody who can't control or somebody who just gets into a temper and wants to punish people and wants to to me that's not the understanding I have of God so obviously you're more than welcome to have that understanding and <laughs> you can you know you can have it <laughs> to me I think if there's things in this world that we can fathom imagine obviously we can't imagine how the, you know to the infinite under kind of degree of understanding that Allah would have for them so how can we be like oh I get it but you know but God's saying no you can't do this. that doesn't make any sense you see so Right, now, I, what was I saying before I got distracted? Yes, about psychedelics. So things like DMT, I think these things are incredibly fascinating. Um, I think that the, it's a shame that really the Muslim culture doesn't really have an exploratory kind of curiosity on these matters. Um, I do feel that it kind of unlocks the um, a different realm, the realm of the, the of consciousness that is unlocked through these psychedelics i think that would be amazing uh, things like psilocybin um obviously dmt uh these kind of things are i mean it's ridiculous that the governments have them as class a drugs i think that's ridiculous and preposterous 
<laughs> I, I, I don't understand that these things are actually called by many uh, kind of shamans and people like this. They call them entheogens, that these are things, these are not like just hallucinogens. They're entheogens. They connect one with the sublime. Allah, Allah. <clears throat> Lack of opinion on Dawama. Please explain why the Prophet married. Yes, I'm going to come to that. Somebody said, respond to me, yaar. Chico, chico. Arrah. Que tal, chico? Opinion on Dawaman. Obviously, I mean, what, what do you think my opinion on Dawaman would be? It's going to be exactly what you imagine. <laughs> Dawaman is just very dramatic, over dramatic about things. And I obviously can't agree. I don't think I would agree when it comes to understanding of faith on you know maybe put a tiny percentage aside that we probably agree on and i'm sure everything else we just disagree on our entire perspective that's a very he comes from a very um, kind of uh, doom and gloom perspective everything's apocalyptic everything's about fearing everything's about sin everything it's sin centric the whole deen is about guilt it's about haram, 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 haram. Obviously, most of what he says is haram. Most, maybe not all, but many of the things I wouldn't believe they're haram anyway. But that said, even if they were, but this approach I disagree with so much. So, Salam, I like your philosophy because of how balanced and reasonable it is. Can I use this mindset without clashing with my close people who are strict? Ismail Akram, of course you can. Of course you can. And shukran for your kind words and much appreciated, uh, you know, much love for the super chat. But yes, of course you can. That is absolutely uh, correct. Um, and it really, one should use a balanced. You see, people, look, I, I, I openly say I'm my kind of personality is eccentric. I'm by no way claiming to be generally in my kind of behavior. <laughs> in my behavior i'm not a i don't think i'm normal like normal people i accept that i have a crazy sense of humor and i'm very eccentric i i recognize that obviously i'd be stupid if i <laughs> don't recognize that so i but i am who i am at the end of the day and i'm not i, I don't really care about i'm not going to change it for other people but i'm not that Part aside, put that aside, my kind of eccentricity kind of thing. But the message that I give is one of reason that this deen ought to make sense to people. Um, you know, so that's that's my message. So I, you know, so I get the fact that, you know, to some people they say, you know, oh, Mufti laughs too much. He does this too much. He does that too much. And why not? As I as I often say that any moment spent in laughter is never a moment wasted. So, I mean, these things are just who I am. But put that aside, um, you know, you should definitely, if you can take the message of what I'm saying, that's, uh, you know, that's what really is important to me. Momo is in the house. All right, Momo, you're doing it. You're doing it. All right. So. What else is going on? Somebody's uh, Shadman asking about. Uh, I'm not ignoring. I am going to. I've, I've, I've got a whole detailed analysis ready for you guys on the marriage of Zainab bint Jash with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So don't worry. I'm going to come exactly 
uh, to that. Mufti, is it true that laughing excessively is bad for the soul? Hell no. I'm ta if anything, it is, it is nourishment for the soul. <laughs> I, I tell you, seriously, I think that humor, just think about it. God created humor. You know, there, there's humor in this world. What would this world be like without humor? I mean, it would just, just, it's so amazing that, you know, have you ever thought that we can't, even in psychology, I remember once going through this whole kind of uh, research on humor and laughter, and Freud has, uh, you know, uh, uh, some writing on it, and there's obviously several of the people that have written on humor. We don't, we still can't comprehend humor. Like, we don't understand it. It's beyond our current human comprehension. Like, why do we... I mean, we've got theories. I'm not saying we haven't got theories. But they, it's not a clear understanding. Why do we actually find certain things funny? You know, why is the punchline funny for us? Why is it if we see something, somebody fall over, we just uncontrollably laugh? Like, especially if you're watching, let's say you're watching a meme of somebody jumping and, he, 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 you know, it's something unexpected happens. Now, people say, oh, that's a nerve, that's the, the mind kind of coping. It's a coping mechanism and it's a kind of nervous reaction to kind of uh, calm you down. But, you know, it's not really a compelling answer, is it? Uh, some people, is it schadenfreude? Is it what? What is going? I think humor, things like humor. Things like love are actually, you know, you take these kind of two sentiments or uh, these two phenomena, they are beyond human comprehension. And I feel in many ways they are, th therefore, they, they are kind of like a sublime gift that we have as human beings. Right, so what is right? Jojo, you're starting to look more and more like, <laughs> like a Bollywood star. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, this one, <laughs> this one teasing me, you know, <laughs> naughty, naughty. <laughs> right, so what about the hadith where it says laughing hardens the heart? You see, this is my point exactly. The hadith, uh, that it, it produces hypocrisy or it hardens the heart. Da'if, da'if hadith, da'if, bring me sahih hadith. You know, if you want to bring hadith, bring it sahih. <laughs> you know, that's what I say. Bring me the voice of reason or bring me something that cannot be critiqued. Then we can talk. <laughs> right, so some somebody said something about a poem. You know, I came across this... Um, I was reading something and uh, this poem, actually I was chatting to uh, <laughs> Doc, Doc, Dr. Imran from Metroflex and he'd mentioned the poem as well, but, the, but there's a slight variant to it. I, I think he had attributed it to Faraz, but there's a slight variant as well where it says that Koon kisi ke khatir rota hai e dost Sabko apni hi kisi baat pe rona aya. Wah, wah. You know, it's amazing. But he says that who 
like who kind of because the person the, the the image or the scene is that somebody must have relayed something traumatic or dramatic and the people listening have cried and the poet is saying that well who cries at the story or at the situation of somebody else in reality everybody's crying over their own trauma <laughs> which in many ways is kind of true <laughs> you know people kind of relate to things and then it triggers and then they get emotional you know speaking about things like that um caroline flack this this whole thing i wanted to say a few words on this so i don't so her the the tragic news of her suicide uh, has emerged just after valentine's day now i was um, i didn't really know who she was before this i'd not uh, i don't really watch i don't watch at all <laughs> love island or things like this although i do see a lot of memes taken out of it on instagram but i don't really watch any of that and i didn't really know until this this had happened and she was all over the news so i i was watching it that who is this person and and the, the tragic kind of events and the whole trolling and the hating and on a side note it's interesting in that alone that you see i the fact that i me as a person and maybe there's many other people who'd never really heard of her but it's with her demise that we become aware of her and it's it's an irony an overwhelming irony that our mortality in ways may immortalize us that's you know as a as a concept that is so overwhelming that that's uh, that how we you know in many cases but but getting back to 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 this point that apparently she had some there was a court case going on of abuse between her and a boyfriend i think she'd kind of smashed his head in with a lamp <laughs> which obviously is not a uh, a good thing but so i think there was some kind of court case going on and all these restrictions but the media were going mad in trolling her paparazzis media hate online all this kind of stuff maybe this was my speculation i thought maybe the fact of being lonely and then valentine's day because it's given so much hype as well may have contributed to that maybe not but the day after she commits or on that night she commits suicide now i think that you know just reflecting on this whole phenomena the the kind of power that we as human beings have now with the internet is it's so disturbing and i've spoken about this in the past it's so scary that we've kind of acquired these almost godlike powers where we can cast people you know into this kind of eternal damnation by things online which where the internet never forgets it has the ability to forever remember you know which an ability previously only attributed to god you know inna rabbi la yadillu wa la yansa you know it's my lord who does not forget and is neither misguided but here this power that we have and people gang up 
and they kind of troll the hell out of individuals uh, a kind of a distant from a safe distance they have a an opportunity to really kind of chastise and cast out their inner demons and then just switch that off and go back to being you know these n apparently nice people and i i find that very disturbing and i just think that you know this this whole phenomenon um it is it's something that is right now leading to a, a huge discussion on um should the media be restricted in their powers and things like this to to really just you know troll the hell out of someone and i i do like i do believe in a free press but i also do understand that you know in this world it's all about just selling stories and people can be so cruel yeah so yeah so i, I just want to share some of those words it is um i from there was something i heard that she had said and i thought that that is an amazing thing i mean i don't that it was attribute i mean it said she had said it i don't know whether she was just reading it from somewhere but she had posted on one of her things saying in in a world where you can be anything be kind and i thought that's an amazing um quotation really because it is so true that you know when we have so much potential in this day and age to become things to that we so overlook just these simple um qualities of saying of being like why not just be kind or be a decent a good human <laughs> but yeah i mean that's uh, you know may allah any person who is suffering from these things may allah grant them ease okay and whoever they are wherever they are whatever faith they belong to um you know people who have died of tragic deaths may allah grant them a blessed afterlife and their family in this world may allah you know make things easy for them and it's not just her there's many people who um commit suicide i mean weekly if you just see the statistics and um you know may allah make things easy right so okay let's move on to some other questions mm -hmm. what are these questions um right so internet has exposed the true nature of people it's right to be disturbed yeah i mean i get that it's internet exposes people as well but i i feel that it's an opportunity to kind of really hate as well is it haram to make a pilgrimage to petra <laughs> petra is not where we make pilgrimage to right so it's not where we make pilgrimage to but uh i mean it's not haram to go to petra but i mean it wouldn't be counted as a pilgrimage oh i've been having a public <laughs> my other obsession is drill ertegrill ertegrill yeah that's something i've not really got into is there ijma arabs and quraysh are superior and therefore rulership is only for them uh, if not please name scholars Oh. You see the th the thing with the Arabs being superior goes against the true understanding of the Quran. It goes against the established sunnah. And I think 
the hadith that the Prophet said Al-A'immatu min Quraysh that the Imams are from Quraysh was more a descriptive uh, statement reflecting the status quo of the Arabs at the time because the Arabs at the time had seemed to have uh, I mean they, they were a rough obviously kind of people but they seemed to have accepted the leadership of Quraysh so at that stage to disturb that status quo would now really just mess things up you know it's not like they weren't ready for something else it's a bit like saying that um, it's like how America goes into let's say it's gone into Iraq said look let's get rid of a dictatorship um, and what we're going to do is this is going to turn into some kind of Europe but the truth is the people are not really ready like that you know it, t it took Europe a considerable amount of time after World War II to arrive at these kind of um, expansive ways of thinking these kind of liberal lifestyles or liberal mindset uh, this kind of love of liberty freedoms tolerance these things take decades to kind of brew within a society it's not just about you know we come knock this leader off replace him with somebody else and now it's like a mini Vienna or something like that. It, it doesn't work like that and America's obviously had to they've had other vested interests but this is the pretext that we're doing it for the sake of democracy in a similar way the Arabs at the time of the Prophet when the Prophet had established uh, Islam and a lot of the Arabian Peninsula was kind of succumbing to uh, the Islamic superiority uh, at that stage they had kind of accepted Quraysh it was the kind of status quo so to disrupt that would have just meant that it would just create chaos so the prophet said that let the leaders like, not let the but the leaders are from Quraysh al-Aimmatum in Quraysh did this mean forever leaders can only be Qurayshi that's you know absurd because why 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 Qurayshi what makes somebody so great if they're Qurayshi now so this is but that said many scholars did start to put this down especially the Shafi'is Ghazali and all these people write this that the person has to be Qurashi hence <laughs> hence they've had like you know just like people for the sake of their name you know some weak kind of like uh, absolutely powerless man he's been given the name of Caliph just because he's Qurashi and from the Abbasid household but really everybody else runs the show and they just give him a slap every now and then and, 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 and this went on for centuries this drama and then obviously went on to the Seljuks then the Ottomans and the, these people were not this is why they didn't call themselves caliphs by the way because they thought that well you know we're not Arabs we're not Qurashi and stuff but this whole caliph thing is kind of nonsensical I mean it's not it's the way we think of it is nonsensical anyway it's a fantasy there is there was never meant to be this kind of like oh the whole world will be under one kind of ruler it would never work like that right so cool all right and the Hanafis did challenge this understanding very early on by the way so what is going on what is going on people right oh right there was an uh, an issue I'll read this out actually I came across this I was taking a look this is a commentary on 
the hadith which are agreed upon in, sah- in Sahihain, in Bukhari and Muslim, Zad al-Muslim, fi matafaqa alayhi al-Bukhari wa Muslim, and it's a commentary on it, right, by, you've got Sheikh Muhammad al-Shanqiti, Muhammad Habib al-Shanqiti. Now, I believe, right, so I believe the father, I believe he's the father of uh, Muhammad al-Amin, but anyway, Muhammad Habib al-Shanqiti. But the interesting thing is I was reading the hadith about, you know, like women plucking eyebrows and doing this kind of stuff. Now, I have mentioned in the past that the Malikis do not say anyway that a woman can't do that stuff. In fact, Dardir and these scholars say a woman can pluck her eyebrows and she can do these things. There's nothing, you know, it's not haram. Uh, although the other madhabs are a bit kind of weird about it. <laughs> so here you had this issue on what if a woman has a beard? <laughs> what if she's rocking a kind of beard? So so he mentions, he goes through the uh, kind of the whole ikhtilaf. Now, <laughs> so some of them, look, لَكِنْ قَيَّدَهُ بَعْضُهُمْ بِمَا Right, if the husband grants her permission, <laughs> then she can shave. <laughs> it's like, uh, husband, may I today? Gillette? <laughs> no, <laughs> I like that stubble. <laughs> And then Nawawi says, Imam Nawawi, he adds that uh, this is obviously, this is the Shankhiti, uh, the scholar who's bringing this, these quotes. He says, He says that Imam Nawawi said, actually, it's not haram. Don't worry about what these people are saying. For a woman, she can remove her facial hair. Yeah, so, uh, and then he, Shankhiti goes on to say, this is upon the Shafi'i kind of way of thinking. Us Malikis. He says, He says, it is wajib. What are you talking about? He says, it's an obligation for her to get rid of that beard. Ah, yeah, salam. I I read that and I was like, oh, I've got to share this. (laughs) Right, so what is going on? What is going on? No, but men can obviously shave as well. Um, You know, Qadi Yad does mention that, okay, they considered it makru, but our makru isn't haram anyway, but chaltayar. But I've got a video on that anyway. Right, so... Shall we take, I tell you what, let's take a look at this issue of the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ to Zainab bint Jash. So I'd like to give a uh, some clarity on this issue. Right, so first of all, a bit of a backdrop. So a lot of people have raised, they've tried to, I don't know, tried to kind of create an entire scandal out of this um, this incident. The issue is, what is the incident? As in, what really happened? 
But the allegations that are being thrown at the Prophet wasallam are that the Prophet um, married Zainab. I mean, that's not an allegation because that's something that happened. He married Zainab, bint Jash. Uh, the, the allegation is that the Prophet lusted over her. She was his cousin. Um, she was the daughter of his aunt, his actual aunt, Umayma, who is the daughter of Abdul Muttalib. So she was uh, his daughter, uh, Zainab. And her actual name wasn't Zainab, by the way. It was Barra. But the Prophet, after he married her, he changed her name to Zainab. So now, so she's known now as Zainab bint Jash. And she was somebody that at the time of Hijrah, she was, when she moved to Medina, she was in her early 30s. All right. So this whole uh, incident that it's been kind of like pieced together and sketched uh, is really pinned with certain allegations that the Prophet lusted over her, that the Prophet apparently saw her naked and things like this and became so infatuated with her and all of these things. And they and this is utter nonsense, utter nonsense. They say the Prophet became besotted by her beauty and he couldn't kind of get her out of his mind and and Zaid was kind of felt bad about this so because she was his wife. And so Zaid kind of offers to divorce her for the Prophet and and all this goes on. And then eventually the Prophet marries her because he has a verse revealed of the Quran, which is in Surah Ahzab, to kind of fulfill this fantasy, so to speak. Now, these are utter nonsensical allegations. So first of all, before going into these allegations, I'd like to explain briefly what actually did happen. Okay. So yes, it is factual that the, and then we'll go into it in more detail and we'll look at some of these, uh, what these narrations are and how these narrations crept in and what was the origin of these, the likely, the kind of etiology where this kind of almost this virus emerges from. So what's happened is yes, she was definitely a uh, cousin of the prophet. She was from his family. The family were generally close with the Prophet. Uh, she was from the early believers. Zayd does marry her. Now Zayd, by the way, is Zayd ibn Haritha. He is somebody who, as a young boy, was taken into slavery. It's by some kind of raiding tribes. They kind of take him into slavery and they sell him. Some people say in Suku Urkad, some narrations, Ibn Ashur says it was in Suq Hubasha. But the point is, he gets sold as a child. He's brought by Hakim ibn Hizam, who then uh, gifts him, like passes him on. This is uh, pre-Islam, or that kind of that kind of time, um, or sorry, very early into Islam, gifts him to um, uh, Khatija, who's relate, who's the aunt of that person. So he kind of passes this boy as a, as a kind of servant. Says, "Why do you, you know, have this boy to kind of help you do stuff?" So here he moves into the home of the Prophet. So this is how the Prophet kind of gets to know him. Uh, he really gets on with the Prophet uh, to a great extent. Khadija says that, you know, she kind of dedicates him to the Prophet, says that you have him, you know, just take it. You've got an amazing kind of uh, relationship with him. Now, what happens is his parents actually stumble upon him. They find out where he is and they come and the Prophet uh, frees him from being a slave 
and when the parents come, the Prophet offers him that why don't you go with your family? And he says that I want to stay with you. Akhtaruka, uh, I choose you over them. So the Prophet does ask him, are you sure about this? Um, now, um, he, and he says yes. And here the family kind of accept it because they realize it's not as a slave. He's kind of like a freed person and he's doing this willfully. So at this stage, the Prophet formally adopts him. Now in that day and age, adopting somebody formally was to make them your kind of like virtual kind of blood. They now carry the same tribal laws as your actual blood do. So the Prophet says in a narration, Arithuka wa tarithuni. I that's uh, you know you can now I will bequeath to you you can inherit from me this we are now like as good as blood. So he became known as Zaid ibn Muhammad. He was but he had this thing because he was spent a considerable amount of time as a slave. In a society like that they really unfortunately they looked down on slaves, the people at large. So. There were certain things that later on, not at that stage, but later on now, now he's with the Prophet, he's known as the Prophet's son, they used to call him Zayd ibn Muhammad, he kind of learns, he grows up, he matures, he, uh, you know, he gets much older. Now, the Prophet wants to marry him off and break this kind of tribal custom of, you know, slaves are like second-class citizens. Or these are ex-slaves, he's not even a slave, but he, he's carrying the baggage. And the Prophet wants to break that. So this is in Medina, by the way, now. So we're not even talking. This is years later. The Prophet proposes to Zainab to marry him. Now, initially, Zainab wasn't really so keen on this marriage because of the social stigma was really strong. Now, people today don't really understand this sometimes. They think... That oh when um this is like sorry Muslim romanticists they think oh when Islam came everybody became this kind of oh I am now a Muslim I have forgotten all kinds of prejudices I have now become it was nothing they were still the very same people they were they still had the tribal baggage they still had the same biases and prejudices they still had the same social customs they weren't actually they just embraced a faith that's all they weren't so Zainab at first wasn't that kind of uh, willing um, and she she kind of like was mm, then the prophet himself goes and asks her that look why don't you marry Just, you know I, I think it would be like it's he's a great person and Zaid was a great person he had an amazing personality so she agrees to marrying him so this is the kind of backdrop to to this now, what happens in the relationship that kind of uh, ensues from that is there is, as as in many relationships, there is a lot of kind of turbulence. But I mean, not in many, sorry, but there is sometimes up up and down. You get you get a lot of ups and downs in normal relationships. But this did get quite turbulent at times. The reason being, a lot of the narrations have presented that that Zainab still kind of felt this sense of embarrassment sometimes about his past him being a slave and she felt that 
you know he's and sometimes they would have some arguments and people have disagreed what the arguments were over some people said oh that you know they they weren't having children and so you know he sometimes was a bit like he was kind of preoccupied with this that mm, that we haven't had any children yet and it's been a while and and she maybe some people have speculated that may have kind of led to arguments and she in turn would say to him sometimes you know remind him that you know you're like a say you know you of a lower status than me <laughs> at the end of the day so this is the kind of stuff that different people have mentioned certain narrations this there is some speculation but what is known is that there was a lot of turbulence in their relationship now the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam does come to learn about this he comes to learn about the turbulence now but it's an ongoing thing it's not like there was a one incident it was going on for months and months now the prophet has a dream now ibn ashur some people said oh he this was revelation as in actual revelation ibn ashur in his tafsir highlights that this uh, he says indi uh, says as far as i understand had a kind of okay that this was a it was a dream that the prophet had in this dream he sees that their relationship breaks down and he sees that the um sorry it's not that he sees the relationship just breaking down he sees that he marries zainab in the future now the prophet becomes quite disturbed with this dream okay because you see it's not about marrying zainab the issue is that in that custom in that society there were certain traits in society which had no basis in the religion but they were still strong one of them was for example marrying slaves ex-slaves this was uh, or a slave or a former slave this was seen by the society as an absolute no-no like people saw it as don't be silly that's you know uh, a comp it's a huge that's an insult to the family the other thing was when you had somebody that was an affiliate with your family like i mentioned like a spoken uh, a verbal family member so they're not actually blood but you announce them as blood so the way the prophet had done with zaid you could never intermarry then uh, like so if that person because they were treated as so if it was a brother it's now as though he's your real brother if it was your son it's now as though he's your real son so you wouldn't marry your son's wife for example so when the prophet saw this dream it did uh, disturb him because he felt that you know this is just ammunition for people to insult and harm the prophet wasallam, and so he so it mentions there is a verse that is revealed later on uh, and we'll come to that verse uh, with where it's highlighted that the prophet kind of he kind of held this within now during this time Zaid is having difficulties with um, Zainab and he comes to the prophet and says uh, I want to divorce her like tell me like I want to divorce her. I've had enough of her like she's really kind of doing my head in. I can't take this. This is uh, what Zaid comes and complains about her to the Prophet. Now the Prophet, fearful of his vision and kind of thinking, right, he, it's interesting the lesson that the Prophet gives us here. Because the Prophet says to him, 
that ittaqillah that serious like fear Allah and it's not fear but be mindful of God and he says amsik alayka zawjak you know hold on to the relationship maybe you can make it work now that's quoted in the Quran the prophet saying that the, the prophet on one hand having this vision but giving the lesson that is it destiny we don't know is it destiny but till the nth degree one must do their utmost best not to maybe it isn't destiny maybe destiny is what you will make of it so the prophet doesn't kind of say oh well you know he says amsik alayka zawjak that be mindful of god and persevere in this relationship don't give up and Zayd continues he does he tries for a little while now the issue is that he can't for so he he has enough eventually and Zayd then does divorce her at which stage later on not, not it doesn't mean like straight away but later on the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam does marry her now the prophet did not you see the thing was that the prophet felt it's not about fearing people the quran highlights that these customs you see because the arab were an incredibly entrenched society in tribalistic cultures these things of you're not allowed to first of all treating people like second class in saying that oh if they're a former slave you can never marry into them this this issue the second thing them saying things like oh if a person has a kind of he is a verbal kind of relative you can now no longer these laws have become sacred when they ain't sacred so one of the things was the people calling Zayd Zayd ibn Muhammad so Allah revealed the verse ud'uhum li'aba'ihim that call them by their father's name and hence Zayd becomes known as Zayd ibn Haritha and this to this part to some extent did hurt Zayd because he obviously was so close to the prophet and he really loved being called the son of Muhammad even though he wasn't the son of the prophet sallallahu but he loved that and you see it's to console that that his name is revealed in the quran and thereby immortalized to kind of console him on this thing of him having muhammad removed from his name so because he's known as zayd ibn haritha which wasn't a bad thing i mean that was his father's name and he was proud of it in its own way but he was just so because he had this strong love for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and this verse, as you can see, it's verse uh, 37 in Surah Al-Ahzab. When you say to the person who Allah had, had kind of bestowed with his blessing, that the faith and everything in general, and you had also bestowed some favors upon him, the way you'd freed him from slavery, set him up in society, given him the status, facilitated the marriage. Right? When you say to him, Amsik alayka zawjaka wattaqillah, that hold on to your spouse, 
and be mindful of God. And you hide in yourself, like you conceal that which Allah is yet to bring into open. And you have this fear of what may happen with people, right? But rather Allah, what we should all, this is not like kind of reprimanding the Prophet, but it's bringing to our understanding that we should all really, what is it to fear about people? If anything, have that same, that thing only of God. Now, فَلَمَّا قَضَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا وَطَرًا And when Zayd had finished his affair with her, his relationship with her, زَوَّجْنَاكَهَا That we had married you to her, as in we had this destiny. Why? Allah mentions لِكَيْ لَا يَكُونَ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ حَرَجٌ So that other believers do not find this to be a kind of uh, uh, a struggle. Because remember, in that society, marriages were not the way marriages are seen today. And I'm going to ex- uh, just mention that in a moment. That when their relationships come to an end and that which Allah has decreed was surely done. Now, it's interesting that you see, and what, what I'm saying about marriages, the way they were perceived in that day and age, just to kind of clarify, put that there, right? So if you take Zayd as an example, now just for those people who are not familiar, uh, Zayd, after he divorced Zainab, he married Umm Kulthum, who's another cousin of the Prophet. She's actually... Uh, Ibnatul Bayda, the daughter of Bayda, who is the daughter of Abdul Muttalib. So the first one, Umayma, who was the daughter of Abdul Muttalib, and her sister, uh, Bayda, Zayd marries her uh, daughter, right, who's called Umm Kulthum. And then he has from her two children, Zayd, Ibn Zayd, and Ruqiyya. And then he also marries Durra, who's the daughter of Abu Lahab, later on. And he marries Hind, Bint Ibnatul Awam, who is the sister of Zubair. All of them Qurashi from Quraysh. Thereby, to a great extent, bringing a dent to that bigoted culture that existed that we can't intermarry. And you can see by these kind of marriages that he was having, this was a norm. It wasn't, you see, because today marriages are so focused on this concept of romance, whereas in the past it was an element of pragmatism, of social participation. So it wasn't quite, so today when people are looking at this, they're obviously seeing marriage is only done for romantic purposes. But in the past, that that was actually one of the least purposes it was done for. It was actually done for pragmatism, for strengthening bonds, for for kind of like social participation, for social cohesion, for strengthening the whole kind of society, moving forward, things like that. So now, right, so just to clarify that point. Now, I want to highlight uh, some things here. People have said that the Prophet marrying Zainab, they've brought certain stories 
right now these narrations they've brought there's about um there's about nine popular kind of narrations one of them which comes from anas radiallahu an the companion um it actually doesn't mention any of those kind of things it just mentions that zaid was having issues and then he divorces her and later on the prophet uh, marries zainab and as i mentioned her name used to be barra but prophet when the prophet married her he named her zainab then there's some narrations from Qatada. Now Qatada, now you see, there are no more narrations from the companions, from people now who never met the Prophet and people who are problematic. I've spoken about Qatada in the past, and the way he would, he would kind of blag certain chains in hadith. Now you have narrations from Qatada who starts to say uh, that the Prophet, you know, what. He doesn't go all out, but he mentioned certain things. Oh, the Prophet was hoping Zaid would just kind of divorce um, her without asking him and so on. And that as you go further descend down this ladder, you get Sha'bi. Now, Sha'bi says he changes the story. He says that, no, Zaid never came to see the Prophet. The Prophet went to see Zaid. So he adds this element. Doesn't add too much, but he just says it's the other way around. Ikrama now. Now Ikrama is where the first you reach that rung of the ladder. Now this is where the key problems begin. This is the same person, people, who Imam Malik warned against, who I've told you time and time again. This is the guy who the whole apostasy killings come from. Yeah, it is through Ikrama. This person who was from the extremists in his day and age. He was known as the. He was a, from the Khawarij. He brings a narration. He's the first person in giving some kind of, he says, because the question is in this verse where Allah says, and you conceal in yourself, and we've mentioned it was the dream. Some of these people, this later interpretation that you concealed in yourself, uh, uh, within yourself this desire to marry Zainab. So Ikrama is one of the first to, to openly, clearly open up that, kind of this kind of this discourse in transmitting it in the narrations then you've got Abu Bakr ibn Abi Haythama uh, who starts to say oh yeah he starts affirming these stories yes the prophet went there yes there's this thing and Zainab had her hair uncovered even though by the way hijab isn't obligatory at this stage but still they, this is the story coming along then you've got somebody called Muhammad ibn Habban who says Zainab, when the Prophet went there, Zainab wasn't actually dressed well. And these are all problematic narrators. And they, and they continue to get worse. And so you've got somebody known as Kalbi, who is a Kadhab. This person's utterly unacceptable. He says that the Prophet went there, these stories, and he became attractive. You've got then Maqatil. Now Maqatil says, oh yes, and the Prophet, when he goes there, he instantly, instantaneously becomes attracted, attracted to, to Zainab. And then to, to top it off, Abdurrahman ibn Zayd, this narrator who's unreliable, he says the Prophet sees her almost naked. That he's standing there and the wind kind of blows this, um, uh, the kind of curtain out the way and he could see her almost kind of naked or semi-naked and he becomes uh overwhelmed with her beauty this is the uh the kind of narrations that these people are saying right now i want to highlight something here where these things come from now these are utterly unacceptable 
the narrations are weak, da'if, batil, mawdu', right? These are unacceptable narrations. Where did all this come from and why did some Muslims transmit them? You see, the problem is certain Muslims, people like Tabari, and there's others as well, but Tabari, you know, Tabari, uh, <laughs> who I fear maybe, you know, like Tiberius, Tiberius of the Muslim Ummah, like the Roman Emperor. Tabari, the amount of damage people like this have done to this deen by just trying to, I don't know, be, bring these narrations, all of these problematic narrations in Islam, which are weak, unacceptable, nonsense, are brought by people like Tabari. He, he brings them, these other people bring them. Oh, the Quran, the satanic verses, the this, the that. Now, th so th this is a problem in and of himself, uh, people like Tabari. Tabari's book and his transmissions are really questionable. But I want to get into why would these people do this? Why? What was going on in their mentality? Now, you see, this didn't just, the Muslims didn't just come up with something. I want to speak about something which I call, uh, I've termed this, the, the reactionary reverse bravado effect. Okay, the reactionary reverse bravado effect. This is what I believe happened in that early kind of community amongst Muslims. Now, what do I mean by this? You see, as Islam was spreading, as it spread into the Middle East, a huge amount of Christians come into Islam, uh, or they met, or they interact. They, a lot of the Arabs in the Middle East were previously Christian. Most of them were. They embrace Islam. Now, some of them c come to know of certain stories, and they find other things, and there's huge kind of polemics and debates. Christians in early Islam start to come up with this story that your prophet lusted over. Uh, you know, there's such and such chain that your prophet lusted over this woman. Yeah. Now, I'm not just saying this. In fact, right, if we, sorry, if I can just bring this. Now, here is an example this was John of Damascus, who, as you can see, who's known as Yohanna uh, ibn Mansur. Now here he is highlighting that, look, Muhammad, uh, and, the, and, the, and he is very early on in Islam, by the way. So he is around, he's born in 675 to 749. So you can see, like, He's within that century of, you know, of the Prophet's lifetime, within that very early Salaf period. So he would have uh, been alive when several companions of the Prophet were alive, things like this. Now, he is writing that Muhammad had a friend named Zayd, and the man had a beautiful wife with whom Muhammad fell in love once. Uh, when they were sitting together, Muhammad said, Oh, wow, oh, by the way, God has commanded me to take your wife. Now, you think, well, and he wasn't the only one bringing this kind of a discourse, trying to kind of, uh, trying to kind of insult the prophet of Islam. You've got now. Here's another example: a Byzantine ruler, Leo the Third, right? Once again, you know, not that long within that Salaf period. You can see uh, 741, which is still going into the. You've got that late kind of. 
uh, Umayyad into early Abbasid kind of period going on. Still very early in Islam. Um, sorry, still Umayyad time, and later on it goes into the Abbasid. He is writing to Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Now, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rules from 99 to 101 Hijri, which is only, we're talking just really, just, uh, you know, less than a century after the Prophet, the Prophet passing away in 10th Hijri, and this is in 99 or 100 Hijri. So within that 90 years, he's writing saying, look, by the end of the first, he reports that Muhammad's marriage to Zainab. Now, he does write it in strange, uh, you know, he, he gets some of the facts wrong. So he calls her Zida instead of Zainab. He says that, look, that the, he refers to the Prophet's seduction of Zida. Now, this is the kind of things that the Christians are saying at that time to Muslims. Now, what does this trigger? On one hand, it can trigger that Muslims kind of denounce this. But sometimes, unfortunately, we get what I'm calling this reactionary reverse bravado effect, where people start to say, well, they're in a bravado manner, try and own it. Like, yes, yeah, so what? And a great example of this, by the way, a great example of this is um, if we're going to look at today, in this day and age, with the whole age of Aisha thing. So because non-Muslims have brought this age of Aisha to Muslims and highlighted it, what happens? Instead of Muslims actually saying, oh, well, you know, they've actually got a point here. We need to look into our tradition and see all these things don't make sense. They, there's a reactionary reverse bravado effect. Like, yeah, so what? This is our way. What are you going to do about it? You know, we, we, you know, you can't tell us. This kind of reverse bravado takes place. Now, so what some of the early Muslims start to do is they start to say, well, yeah, but so what the way David, in your sources, biblical sources, took Bathsheba, right? So if those of you that remember, um, Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, and David, according to the biblical story, sees her and she's so beautiful that he's overwhelmed with her beauty that he sends her, sends Uriah away on some battle to hopefully get killed. And he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And then, you know, the prophet Nathan comes and kind of gives him that story. Now, this is in the biblical sources. We don't believe that as Muslims. But you see, some Muslims started to say the way David, your prophets, did this. So the prophet married Zainab and and what? And you can see this in very early sources. Like, look, right here is an account from uh, several Mufassirin. Bring this. This is Shawkani in his Fatul Qadir. You can see here that translating or interpreting these verses that Sunnah Allahi Filladina Khalom Min Qabl, that the Sunnah of Allah in those who went before, that Yani Yatazawaj Min Nisa'i Masha, that he can marry who he wants from women. And what? He's a man. You know, this kind of attitude. So, and you can see here that them saying, and this, by the way, is Muslim sources. Ibn Sa'ad is transmitting it from Muhammad ibn Ka'b al-Kuradhi, you know, from that, the offspring of Bani Quraidah. He says the way Suleiman had a thousand women, so what? Our prophet took Zainab. Here, Ibn Juraj, which is transmitted by Ibn al-Munzir and Tabrani, 
and you can see this is another nightmare in and of itself. Ibn Juraj is a huge calamity in hadith. By the way, one of the transmitters of Jesus is going to come back. Obviously, some of the narrations go through him because you can see this. Now, look at what Ibn Juraj is saying. He says, Oh, Sunnah He says, The way David took the lady, and he says, And he married her. He comes out with, maybe some of them say, transmit her name as Alisa, but generally Bathsheba, according to the biblical sources. He says, And Allah had destined it. And look, he goes on to say here, So this is Ibn Juraj who's alive around that time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz and when that king is writing and he's in early kind of Islam, that kind of young Tabi'i age. Uh, this is him. Now, he is openly embracing this vision. He's saying that, yes, yeah, so the way David took, you know, Bathsheba and our prophet, you know, he, he found Zainab attractive and took her. So you can see Guys, that when I say that how the Christian narrative creeps into Islam, it unfortunately does. On several occasions, we don't understand that most of the uh, most of the early Muslims, when Islam spread into the Middle East, were Christians. So, this was something I want to highlight, and just to take a look at. Let's just, uh, coming to some of the questions, I want to kind of like highlight some of the questions here. Um, uh, right, so those people um, having a kind of digressing on the, those people di digressing, uh, if you just pay attention people, right? So this is quite important. Now, you see, Let's take a look at some of the key criticisms, the questions. So one of them, they've said, oh, well, the Prophet, um, uh, this verse of the Quran says, well, and you were concealing uh, within. It was actually to do with this lust. If that was the case, let's say that is the case, right? That the, the Prophet was concealing lust. What, and then the Prophet makes up the Quran to reveal it to people to, so he can legitimize him getting married to Zainab. Why would he reveal it like that why would he make it up to criticize himself to say oh you're concealing something and allah is about to bring it into the open if it is lust that he's concealing why would he do that to himself because since according to the a lot of these atheists the prophet is making these verses up anyway so why make it up where you're going to you know why shoot yourself in the foot so this is one point. Secondly, if Allah is saying in this verse that, look, and whatever you're concealing, Allah is about to bring out into the open. Where did Allah bring out that, oh, the Prophet lusted? Allah brought out, was and we married you to her. So that's to highlight that. The other point is that the Prophet lusting over her. Right. The, now, I want to highlight something here. Zainab was the cousin of the Prophet who grew up around the Prophet. She was somebody that was very close 
to the Prophet's household. There was no barrier at all categorically in the Prophet marrying her. In fact, the narrations say when the Prophet came to propose on behalf of Zayd, she actually thought, oh, the Prophet had come to propose for her. And she was totally elated. If the Prophet wanted to marry her, he could have married her. It was not, there was no, it's not like she was somebody who came from Persia or Rome or somewhere from, she was from the Prophet's household. The Prophet knew her all of her life. It wasn't something that, you know, she, she was in her early 30s when she migrated from Mecca after the, uh, with the Prophet. She was a, a grown woman, a mature woman. It wasn't something... And this thing that the Prophet became so overwhelmed with her beauty. I'm sure, look, she... I'm sure, look, uh, they were all beautiful women. It's, I don't mean it, it, I, in any sense like that. But let's just be realistic. If this was the case, the Prophet was so overwhelmed with her beauty, this was never highlighted by any of the other wives as, oh, that was something that she was such a beautiful woman that the Prophet, it was never, whereas it is highlighted sometimes with other wives of the Prophet. The other thing is that if she was so beautiful, the Prophet had already seen her on so many occasions, way before he'd married her off, he knew her. You know, so how is it that somebody you've known and seen all, you know, most of your mature life and they're so close to your household, they come and go, you come and go and the whole thing. And then one day you see her without her hair covered and, oh my God, you're enamored. I mean, just let's just be real on that. I mean, I could, the story could add up if you're saying this is a total stranger, you've never seen this person, you see her one day and you're like, wow, does this even make any sense? Right, so these are nonsensical, just people are just trying to get a lot of mud and throw it on the honor of the Prophet And I say something, you know, that it's interesting that the Prophet, in that verse, it highlighted, you know, The Prophet, he, it's not that he feared people, but he just felt that this is only going to give ammunition to try and hurt him. That the Prophet didn't really think that marrying her would be a good thing. As in, not that she wasn't a good thing, but that, that she, was a, she was a great person, but that the social thing, he didn't want, he was already struggling with the amount of resistance against the message, people making up rumors, doing this, doing that. He didn't want more kind of like social drama. Now, yet the Prophet marries her to put this uh, bigoted kind of uh, prejudiced um, cultural practice at bay to kind of do away with it, nip it in the bud. And this fear that people will use this as ammunition, Wallahi, if anything, is so true that till this very day, they try and hurl it as an insult against the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, I, I, I would say, you know, if anything, I would plead to the voice of reason. That just being fear, like, I mean, this is, if people are not Muslim, that does this really add up? That, you know, just trying to say, oh, just trying to insult the Prophet based on these things. 
uh, based on oh he must have become so enamored he must have become this just makes so much sense the narrations are baseless okay and really more so this is an explanation especially for Muslims who wanted uh, some kind of a background that who was Zainab first of all that she was the cousin of the Prophet who was Zayd and how close he was and his relationship with the Prophet and how he was known as his adopted son and how the Prophet initially wanted to break the social taboo of marrying from the different classes and he did and Zayd went on to successfully even after Zainab marry so many other Qurashi women right and and, and I've said that marriage in that day and age didn't quite reflect marriage today, which is centered around romance, uh, whereas then it was more ar around practicalities and pragmatism. And also understanding. So what we've understood, most of the narrations, all apart from the one which is from a companion, Anas, which says nothing about this, just mentions that Zayd was having issues and he divorces her and later on the Prophet marries her. But all the non-companions like Qatada and then Ikrama, who's the key problem. And I've always warned against this narrator, Ikrama, right? And uh, people like this and Muqatil and Kalbi and, you know, you've got Ibn Zayd and these people bringing fabricated narrations. And when you look at the verse of the Quran, so these are things that I'm just summing up that we've taken a look at. And what where did this originate from? It originates with that Christian polemics, the, the kind of debate, the discourse, where people are finding faults with Islam, where they're trying to criticize the Prophet, where they're even getting the names wrong. Oh, this woman called Z Zida, Zeba, whatever. They're mixing things up, Zida. Oh, it's Zainab. Now, this is the Prophet seducing women. These kind of allegations are being thrown. And then we have a kind of reactionary reverse bravado effect where people instead of kind of saying hmm you know well we need to kind of realize that this stuff they they unnecessarily try to own stuff out of this kind of almost this bravado attitude and thereby causing more adding you know uh, insult to injury really for to the islamic heritage so and this is how it then creeps into our books like tabari's book and this and which are not reliable books anyway by the way but it, it creeps into them so this was an overview of this whole thing. So I hope, inshallah, it gives some clarity to people who are unfamiliar, especially Muslims uh, who have you know, just had a lot of questions around this topic, that to us as Muslims, the honor of the Prophet ﷺ is obviously first and foremost. So, um, and I always say, look, within reason, we should always look at these kind of things and not just... Um, even if certain Muslim scholars have said them, if it compromises the honor of the Prophet wasalam, you know, we do not throw the Prophet under the bus. Those people, that's just their opinions. We are not kind of bound to follow them. Cool, guys. I hope that's of some help. Let's move on to some other questions. Right now, how to message Mufti privately? Well, you can just Instagram, DM me. That's it. Let me just bring up. Oh, damn. What's going on here? Right. What's the. Let me. Facebook. Mi gente. All right. Just bringing this up. Let's just see what the Facebook people are saying. All right, people. I hope that's been helpful. Um, right. 
I I appreciate your admire your intellect sir shukran 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 sharminda kar rahe hain aap right where's the youtube people got what on earth are the youtube people chatting about some kind of nonsense going on talking about their own kind of things right so oh my god is that the time i think it's masala time people <laughs> so those of you that don't know <laughs> my beloved my beloved right so my beloved sheikh asrar is back on the scene people and he's been just obsessed and overwhelmed with me and he's taken social media several times uh this week actually within one week somebody who doesn't call my name you know you never call you never write <laughs> and then within one week you do two posts one live video all about me <laughs> touch kar diya yaar touch <laughs> right so speaking of social media that kind of reminds me that we've got so message. social media is a no go for students of knowledge if someone you thinks this is impossible i only got a phone after i got married a simple phone so why do students of knowledge need a phone if you need to ring your parents what i used to, because your parents have rights over you when i would go to damascus i would ring them once a month for 2 minutes yes place the uh, 500 lira card into the phone box in in those times the smartphones were not out ring them and no say i'm okay i'm fine they would say do you need anything i would say maybe uh, someone is coming next right. month please send this Rewired and that's it audio, so yes <laughs> now why does a student of knowledge need a smartphone so you for to improve your studies you cannot have social media accounts you cannot be responding on controversial issues so <laughs> right so people could you i don't know if you could <laughs> we just bring that back i don't know if you saw that but sheikh asrar was saying i just got a let me just see right sheikh asrar was saying that what is the point of social what is social media for students of knowledge he said i didn't even have a phone I just used to make two phone calls in a month to <laughs> data packet you know data packet small data packet <laughs> so, I, huh? small small packet <laughs> no 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 data packet data packet you know small data ay <laughs> uh, so he he is to only call so social media is a no go on <laughs> right is to only call home on these things so this is the kind of uh, the logic of uh... <laughs> i'm serious this is how sheikh asrar is advising us to kind of really go about dealing with uh, social media so he used to make two two phone calls to his parents a month and all he used to say was are you okay yes okay do you need anything no okay goodbye <laughs> so, 
<coughs> that said, our beloved has now taken to social media, people. And here he is once again. <laughs> and now he's taken to social media, but this time with a new, newly found obsession about me that, you know, why has... Jahannami, 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 Jahannami. So he's calling me a kafir. Uh, that I'm a kafir for discussing certain issues. I'm a hidden atheist who's obviously got an agenda against Islam. And here he is, our beloved. Ooh, and he's, no, he's not sending a kiss yet. Although possibly misconstrued, but now it seems evident. It's definitely not. <laughs> and there we can see that's uh, <laughs> the, the, the lion of Ahl Sunnah. Meow. Hamari cat, humper attack. You know, this is the thing, people. So, Sheikh Asrar, our beloved, has uh, beloved, has uh, has really kind of become so um, upset, really, that why, you know, why has Mufti been discussing these things? So he's taken it to social media. He's uh, oh, and his his logic has been this is how you're going to fix me this is his an extract or a uh, a part of his a paragraph from his facebook post people so he's talking about me here the individual i believe is an atheist who doesn't have the courage to openly denounce faith hiya <laughs> Right, and I lack an absolute methodology. So as you can see, but he does give a cure. Alhamdulillah, you know, it's, uh, he's not like he doesn't give a cure. He does give a cure. He says the only cure to help me is to either ignore me or insult his mother, my mother. <laughs> I mean... Are you for real? I mean, this is actually on Sheikh Asrar's Facebook page, right? So, go crazy! Ah, 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 go stupid! Ah, ah. Go crazy! Go stupid! Ah, 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 go crazy! Yeah. Go stupid! Oh. Go crazy! Ah, 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 my head, right? And all I can say is, people, I can't do it. I just cannot get seriously. So, social media is a no-go for student. His. Uh, his logic like what is <laughs> so let me get this right that the only way to do this is to call me an atheist maybe ignore me which he obviously isn't doing is going against his two phone calls a month data packet you know and using the internet not ignoring me writing excessively about me but the other way to cure me is to insult my mom. <laughs> so I've been trying to figure out, like the whole night, I've been thinking, yeah, it's logical. But you know, the whole night can go by, as you can see here. <laughs> I 
not seem to understand the logic of Sheikh Asrar. That he's got, he must have some wisdom going on, people. The, it's not like, uh, <laughs> how do we uh, get about this? What? This one? <laughs> this one? Not nice. Let me just bring up here. Right, so. Mm -hmm, just bringing up the... Yeah, so this has had me kind of trying to figure out his logic. And I've been quite perturbed. <laughs> so what is this issue all about? So the... Let's take a look at this actual issue. As you can see, Andy has asked, <laughs> why don't you... And you know the irony is, I sh somebody sent me a picture of Sheikh Asrar coming live and saying, look, I'm, I'm going to do a live to discuss Mufti Abu Layth. Now, and he said, please, you know, the, the, the status said something like, you can't be rude, but... Uh, Otherwise, I don't mind any kind of questions. <laughs> I thought, acha, 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 acha. <laughs> but I genuinely thought to myself, like, you know, first of all, I thought to myself that what are we like eight years old? That is this how this works now? That I know I'm going to give you this argument. No, no. Uh, I'm going to use the categorical no 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 i'm going to come back with a certain uh with certain data from site no 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 i know let's just insult his mom <laughs> like is that like really like I, I i honestly when i saw that somebody sent that to me and i just honestly you should have seen the amount of emojis i put in laughter but I really thought to myself that I must be really, like, like he must be so obsessed with, I must be really getting to him. <laughs> to, right, I must be getting to him so much that for even, for somebody like him to really stoop so pathetically in saying, I know. I mean, insult my mom. I mean, what, is that is that it? <laughs> it's, uh, I know this guy's got an issue with his iman. I know how to fix it. On three guys. <laughs> is this how we fix it? I must have hit some real raw nerve. I'm telling you. Naughty, <laughs> naughty. Asrar, <laughs> ever since he's found, he claims to have found uh, Ya'juj and Ma'juj. <laughs> In fact, he's not Zulkarnain, he's Zulfonain. <laughs> you know, he's got, phonein means the two phones, he's got two phone calls a month. <laughs> so, Zulfonain thinks he's kind of like, you know, this is like, I don't know, he must be so, I'm just trying to get, figure out his mind, like, what? wow, I'm, I must have really hit some, some forget a nerve, I must have hit the entire nervous system. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right, so, I mean, he can, if he wants, 
I mean, he, if he really wants to insult my mom, fine. You know, I, I'll let him use one of those two phone calls he has a month. <laughs> oh, you know, is that your heart's in, in te- is that, you know, your deepest desire? Go for it, man. <laughs> is that is that it? <laughs> right. So let's take a look at... Uh, Two calls. <laughs> I've got the two phone calls and I discovered Yatjuj and Matjuj. <laughs> I really think, honestly, that Sheikh Asrar is actually at this stage in life going through maybe some kind of like, there's some issues going on, you know. I, I think there are, seriously. But I just want to, <laughs> hey, I just want to say, if you want to use one of those two phone calls to call me, I'm here for you, man. You can t- talk to me. Tell me what, what <laughs> what's what's bothering you, yaar. <laughs> talk to me, my beloved. So, anyway, now I want to also highlight what is this issue that he's. Uh, what is it that Zulfaunain has kind of got so he's trying to make a big deal out of and i thought look let me i tell you what let me give the the whole backdrop the whole kind of discourse presented to you guys objectively now i was asked in a, a previous q a about the bodies of the prophets do you believe that they uh, remain completely preserved the way they are and i said that look there's this hadith and many people have uh, and by the way, my beloved, <laughs> my beloved small data package, Zulfaunain, <laughs> he shared that clip of mine, Asrarzid. And I was kind of grateful, actually. I was like, wow, advertising on my behalf. <laughs> you, you're teasing me, you naughty, naughty. This, uh, you're giving me mixed messages here. I'm kind of confused, you know, confused. <laughs> you know, now I understand why... You know, you don't call because <laughs> you only have two phone calls a month. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to the topic. So I said, look, there's a difference of opinion. However, it doesn't have to be literal. So he's kind of gone on about this, that this is a kind of uh, this is the issue he's kind of picked up on. So some people have asked me, do you mind kind of elaborating on this issue? So sure, of course, I'm happy to do so at your service. You know, All right. So. Right, people. Now, this issue of the bodies of the prophets, I want to begin with, first of all, by clarifying that, look, as Muslims, it's really important that this these kind of issues, anything discussing the prophet, is a, a sensitive issue, right? Because to Muslims, the prophet is the most dear person. So... By and large, not just Muslims, but any people of any faith, the people of their faith, the fa- the founding figures or the, the amazing personalities of their faith, they have a huge reverence towards those people, as we as Muslims have towards the Prophet Now, many Muslims, we will have a kind of devotional outlook. Now, there's two, two kind of um, pathways. Okay, now I'm going to go down both. I'm going to, the first one is brief. It's the devotional pathway. 
Now this pathway is where you just speak about somebody reverently and you just kind of like you venerate them and you speak so you know you don't ascribe anything you don't even bring into a discussion a word that you feel might be kind of uh you know n unbefitting to that kind of so it's a kind of like full of etiquette this devotional pathway it's muslims have this towards the prophet and towards prophets or towards great figures and people and towards the companions and we understand this and that's just a devotional perspective so you will say so you'll see sometimes people will sometimes they'll exaggerate these things as well so they'll say things like oh the prophet never even had a shadow for example or the prophet wasn't even really a human being some people will say like he was actually something made out of lights and a light and not made out of like human stuff now this is a kind of exaggeration down this pathway of devotionalism now that's fine it happens everywhere it's not like you know somebody could say look i believe that the prophet wasn't even really a human being he was you know superhuman he was like this uh he was kind of like some people will feel that they won't say he's god but he had kind of godlike powers and he had all these things and he never ever he never really even needed to eat food he just he was you know he was just in the avatar of a human but he wasn't really a kind of human he didn't really need food he didn't need these things he didn't need any of this this is just who he how he portrayed himself amongst people he was kind of like an angel now that's fine i mean that's from a devotional perspective people are saying these things so sometimes some people will say things like like so just as when you're speaking about god now let's say people are speaking about god and we say alhamdulillah all praise be to allah the creator of everything now one could say look in islam many people consider the pig to be impure now allah is equally the creator of the pig but out of etiquette you wouldn't people don't say that in the same sentence they won't say oh the creator of of the pig but because they associate that negatively i'm just saying giving an example or they wouldn't say the creator of the devil allah the creator of the devil although he is the creator of the devil but out of poor etiquette you wouldn't that that would be deemed like not befitting to say it like that even though it is from an analytic perspective from an objective perspective right it is true allah did create the devil it's not like the devil is a separate god but you wouldn't say it like that from a devotional perspective so i want to clarify these two perspectives the devotional one is not meant to be kind of like teaching facts it's just teaching nice things even if they're not factually true but they're just nice you know like people will say things like oh such and such Uh, and they'll say this about prophets as well but they'll say like i mentioned oh they say that uh the prophet for example didn't have a shadow now they think that's a nice thing because they associate shadow with darkness and whatever i mean to me that doesn't necessarily sound like something like a praise but to some people it does so they've said it now they'll say oh the prophet never you know um no fly ever sat on the prophet so this is a devotional speech and it's fine people do this all the time but these are not this is not really fact speak but we're not trying to do fact speak we're just trying to inculcate the love 
of the Prophet into people. So when you're teaching people, you say magnificent things. It's like poetic, poetic imagery. Yeah, shukran. It is like that. And that's, that's absolutely fine. We do that about everybody. We do that about people. And why not about the best of people? The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself. That said, sometimes you will have fact speak. You know, like this kind of factual speak where you're speaking objectively. Like, where did the Prophet live? Was he a human being? Like, objectively speaking. Now, objectively speaking, it wouldn't make sense if the Prophet was not a normal human being, like an, a human being, human human, not an angel or made out of light or, or something, you know, non-human. Because then he wouldn't be the best example for us. Because what? Because if Allah was to send somebody that isn't human to be an example for us, we would say, well, you know, well, obviously we're, we're humans. He wasn't really human. He was kind of human, but not really human. So we need an example that's for us. And the Quran says that tell them, I am a human just like you and from you. Allah says we did not that we would not send a messenger except from the people. Because he would be one of them. And in that is a huge accolade and praise. You know, it demonstrates the majesty, really, of the Prophet ﷺ, that he was from us. He was us. You understand? But he was like the best of us. Now, that's from an objective perspective. We have kind of factual speak. So people, if we were to ask, what well, did the Prophet need to eat food? Well, of course, he was a human being. He would need to eat food. The Prophet would feel pain. If there was pain, he would feel joy. He would have emotions. All human things, he would also, he was a human. So the, it's, it's irrelevant trying to then, you see, if you start teaching devotional speak as factual speak, the problem with this is that there will be many Muslims, especially nowadays, there's many, especially the younger generation, they don't, they, they don't buy into some of the kind of devotional uh, um, kind of qualities or the devotional description that imagery they don't buy into it as literal and some of them find it disturbing because they think then oh well then the prophet you know that doesn't really make any sense to them now Islam is for everyone and there may be a time to speak devotionally but there is definitely a time when a person speaks factually now this question that does the prophet, for example, do the prophets, do th does their body disintegrate when it's buried? I will kind of highlight this discussion in just a moment. Right now, I've said that this hadith doesn't have to mean that. Now, there is a hadith that these people are relying on. Now, you see, ironically, the hadith they're relying on isn't even that sahih. It's actually the hadith that they rely on um, is transmitted... In Abu Dawood, it's in Sunan Nisa'i, Ibn Majah, Ibn Hibban, Musnad of Ahmad, Hakim and Darmi, more or less, and some of this transmitter as well. And this hadith that they rely on is by a companion called Aus ibn Aus. And by the way, even this companion, uh, there's, there's a huge confusion on who he was. They're not even sure who he was. Some people say he was, his name was Aus ibn Aus. Um, some people have said his name was Osibna Awais. Oh, sorry, Awais ibn Aus. Some people have said his name was Osibna Abi Awais. 
Uh, Imam Bukhari said, no, they were three separate people. Uh, you've got some people saying, uh, Abu Nu'aym saying, no, these are like the same people. You've got Ibn Ma'in saying they're the same people. You've got some saying, no, his name was Aus ibn Hudayfa, a different companion. Uh, so they're not even too sure about this. Like there's a confusion, an element of confusion around this person. Right. So Aus ibn Aus transmits this hadith. And by the way, the people who transmit it from him, there's there's many problematic people in this chain, like uh, Abdurrahman ibn, uh, there's, there's a particular Rawi, Abdullah ibn, um, you've got Abdurrahman ibn Yazid ibn Jabir is one who is definitely problematic and, and a lot of people, Bukhari spoken about him, Abdurrahman ibn, um, ibn Abi Hatim brings him and talks about him, that his father Abu Hatim problematized him, there's people like Hussein al-Ju'afi in the chain, uh, Bukhari, Darqutni, all these people have raised issues with this chain, but I'm, I'm, I'll come to that in a moment. But this hadith is Aus ibn Aus, or Aus ibn Abi Awais, or whatever you want to call him, Aus ibn Hanzala, or, or, or sorry, Aus ibn, uh, ibn Hudayfa. This person, he says that the Prophet was telling them that the Prophet's life was beneficial for them, and his passing away was beneficial for them, his death was beneficial for them. So the companion actually says, how can you help us when you've become just dust? Arimta. Now, Arimta is actually like when the bones have become useless and nothing. And it's actually kind of like, a, it's, it's not a, necessarily a pleasant term. And the Prophet says that oh, in this hadith, oh, uh, he carries on. Obviously, it began by the whole thing about send salam upon me, that this... You know, even when I pass away, it's still beneficial for you and so on. And then the person says, how when, you know, and your bones have become nothing and dust. And, and the Prophet said, That Allah has prohibited the earth from eating, consuming the bodies of the Prophets. Now this hadith, like I said, coming from Aus ibn Aus or Aus ibn Abi Awais or Awais ibn Aus or Aus ibn Hudayfa, whatever his name was, this uh, Sahabi radiallahu an, right? Now this hadith, even though many people have said it's okay, it's Sahih, Bin Baz said it's okay, you know, we'll, we'll consider it okay, Albani said it's okay, we'll accept it, Sahih, put it in his thing, but it's got problems in the chain. But let's just take it right now as it's acceptable. Let's take it as that. Did this have to be a literal hadith? Now, I've said that there are two understandings. There's the devotional understanding, and I feel that from that perspective, people would take it as, no, this is literal. The other understanding is that this is more a reflection on the efforts of the Prophet, and do not go to waste. Now, this is what some people like uh, Asrar Zulfawnain uh, <laughs> has kind of made a huge issue out of, that how can... Uh, you know, Mufti Abu Layth say this. Right now, first of all, uh, I, I just want to highlight, apart from, okay, the, the issues of the chain, why is this an issue? Why is this an issue? Because they're saying that, oh, this would otherwise seem disrespectful. But I'm saying, look, I'm speaking right now analytically, objectively, factually, that in that case, are you saying that imagine the prophets or the or people, because by the way, this isn't just restricted to the prophets. The scholars have put in there the shuhada, the martyrs, who, by the way, there isn't a single sahih hadith about the martyrs, but they've put them in there. Then they've put the pious people in there. Then people like Zarqani and other people have put scholars in there. So, I mean, by that standard, I guess, 
do I qualify? <laughs> or they put ulama in there, they put hafaz of hadith. Once again, do I qualify? I'm a hafiz of, uh, sorry, hafaz of the Quran. I'm a hafiz of the Quran. So they've put, scholars have put all kinds of people and they put scholars, hafiz of the Quran, that the so soil can't eat, can't eat us. I'm a hafiz of the Quran. Whether people want to consider me an alim or not, but I am a hafiz. So according to many scholars, the soil would never consume me as well. Now, look, I'm just saying that we, right, in that case, are we saying that these people, imagine if they weren't buried, they were just left, just on, on in, not under the ground, above ground, that their bodies wouldn't, do human bodies not require nourishment, life, blood flowing to, in order to stay alive? Does a body not disintegrate anyway, regardless of soil? Does it not do that? I mean, in that case, why bury the Prophet ﷺ? Why not just leave him as a, an example for everybody so we can come and see the Prophet? Why does he need to be... Why does Allah in the Qur'an teach us to bury people? Why, you know, he says about the sons of Adam fought and then we showed them how to bury. Why? You know, they were... Uh, why not just keep the Prophets always there? Everybody can just see. The body's going to stay intact. It doesn't really... In that case, it doesn't need nutrients. They don't need food. They don't need anything. They just... They're not human, by the way, in that case. They are, are human, but non-human laws apply to them. So look, when you say this, the problem is that yes, to a devotional, in devotional speak, it may sound okay to certain people. But there's many young people today who just won't accept that. And because of these kind of things, they will then reject Islam. Now, you have to think that what are you actually saying? When, when there's a, a factual question, are you saying that, oh, in that case, these people, because why not the companions then? Are they not awliya? Why not Abu Bakr and Umar? Why do they need to be buried? Why not just leave them there? Their bodies, surely their bodies can't disintegrate. So, look, this becomes silly. And then the other thing is, by the way, even if you look at hadith, there's a much stronger hadith, by the way, much stronger. Now check this out. This is actually very fascinating. There's a much stronger hadith. Uh, right, just bringing this up. Right, so there's a, a much stronger hadith, which is in Bukhari, it's in Muslim, it's in first and foremost, the Muatta of Imam Malik. It's transmitted by Abu Huraira. And you've got this hadith where the Prophet said, that he tells them that uh, he said Kullu ibn Adam, every son of Adam ard. the earth will decompose their bodies and then it says check this out Illa except the sacrum bone you know the sacrum the, which is just above the, the, uh, the, the tailbone the coccyx so just above that um, is the sacrum. Now, accept that. Why? Because minhu khuliq wa fihi yurakab. Because from here he was created and from here he will be brought back from the sacrum. According to this Sahih Hadith, not only do all humans disintegrate, but all human sacrums never disintegrate. This is a Sahih Hadith according to all human beings. That our sacrum, even though the sacrum is one of the last bones to disintegrate, but according to this, it never disintegrates because we are made out of the sacrum. 
Now, that is actually very interesting, this thing. Why? Because I, I want to demonstrate those of you that are wondering here, just to bring this up. This is the sacrum, by the way. So that bone over there. And if you're wondering, this term sacrum, it comes from the Latin sacred. And why does it come from that? Because th they believe, there was a belief that this was a, uh, a sacred bone within the body in ancient Roman beliefs. So we're not talking about um, Muslim or Christian. Before them, we're talking about before uh, Muslims and Christians, we're talking about Romans. The Greeks believed that this was a kind of holy bone, a sacred bone. Why? Because it was one of the last to ever disintegrate. So they felt that maybe human beings were made out of this. Uh, this in cross-culture, the Mesoamerican kind of native culture also considered this sacrum to be kind of sacred. The Indian cultures considered the Kundalini thing to be around that region and the pelvic region about there. So many cultures historically felt that the sacrum was some kind of sacred um, kind of entity because whenever they saw the humans, they saw this. When they disintegrated, they saw this part and they felt that, wow, this must be represent something. This then creeps into Christian uh, through the Roman heritage, it creeps into Christianity. So they start writing about this, how this is sacred. Um, in fact, they then refer this to the Psalms, the book of Psalms. They say that this is what it's referring to in 34, where it says that there, it mentions that all bones, uh, that even though that destruction will come over all bones it says except it mentions one of them shall not be broken now although this is in psalms uh later christians felt this was speaking about the sacrum now from there it comes into the muslim it's it's once again you see that kind of virus creeping in and in arabic they call it ajbu dhanab the ajb of the zanab of the tail because it's above the the coccyx the tailbone so you see here muslims and all of a sudden it becomes a hadith apparently that not only do no human sacrum ever disintegrates and this is in bukhari and it's in muslim and i believe that imam malik brought this on purpose to show the nonsensical aspect of it that this once again, most likely Abu Huraira had probably got this from Ka'b al-Ahbar, uh, who Imam Malik brings in his motta that Abu Huraira would go and spend entire time, like several, he would take out time and go to Ka'b al-Ahbar and take, learn his religious scriptures from him. Now, this most likely, the fact that Imam Malik brings that separately and then brings this from Abu Huraira, in my understanding, is Imam Malik kind of showing that you have to be weary what's going on here, that this doesn't make any sense. And this seems to have a Christian origin. And in fact, we know today it's even predates Christianity. It's from the Roman, Greco-Roman period. And it's in other cultures as well, the whole sacrum thing. 
So my point is, if you look at this hadith, according to this hadith, no human thing will disintegrate. But from a factual perspective, we're not going to say that. There is another hadith, by the way. All, most of the books that quote that hadith of Aus ibn Aus, and this is interesting, and quote this hadith, people, and it's definitely worth uh, kind of uh, having a, a look into, that they bring this hadith, uh, so you've got most of those books. So once again, it will be uh, books like uh, it will be in um, it's in Abu Dawood, in Nasa'i, Ibn Maj. It will be in uh, Al Hakim brings it. It'll, it's in most of those similar kind of books. I believe the Musnad of Ahmad and other narrations, and it's known as the narration of Ajuzu Bani Israel, the old lady of Bani Israel. Now, in this, what happens is the Prophet is uh, speaking about something and he says that oh and it's transmitted by several companions beginning with Abu Musa al-Ash'ari it's also transmitted by Ali ibn Abi Talib it's transmitted by Ibn Abbas it's transmitted by other companions as well and some chains are cr critiqued as well I'm not saying but to be fair the other chain it's it's much stronger than the other chain it's got several people transmitting it in this what happens is the Prophet is telling people oh, why don't you be like the people, uh, the old lady of the Israelites, and they say, "What's who's the old lady of the?" And it's an incident that's going on. But the prophet then relates. He says that when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and they were lost, Moses consults with them that what 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 what's going on? Have we kind of missed something? And some of the leaders of the Israelites tell him that in uh, Yusuf, أَخَذَ عَلَيْنَا أَهْدًا أو مَوْثِقًا that Yusuf had taken an oath with us, uh, a kind of like a solemn pledge with Allah, like he had taken this oath with us, that it, were we to ever leave Egypt, we had to take his bones with us. Now this is Yusuf the Prophet. So in that, uh, Musa salam says, oh, is that so? So they say, let's ask, let's try and get the whereabouts of where Yusuf is buried. Now they find this old lady who then shows them. Now in this, and then there's some kind of disagreement and then eventually they go to this place. They dig up, and this is the hadith. They dig up. They then took out the bones of Yusuf and they then carried them with them. In the Christian tradition and Jewish tradition, these things are relics. And these are well known, the bones of saints and all these things in the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, are relics. And it's a well known kind of phenomenon. So now I know some scholars will then say, oh, by bones, it meant here. Uh, it didn't really mean bones. It meant this. But then you're just taking a metaphorical example. You're just doing exactly the same thing, are you not? You're just saying, oh, but, you know, it says bones, but no, it doesn't really. But in the actual hadith, it says, Yusuf. They took out the bones of the relics of Yusuf and it says bones, and they took them with them to the promised land. So, and that's actually a hadith, which once again, um, these things are uh, in the same books you've got that is that are actually transmitting the other hadith as well. And there's several companions transmitting it. You know, it's not just Osibna, Aus or so on. Uh, there's people, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, there's people like Ali ibn Abi Talib, there's Ibn Abbas, and some of the chains are weak, I accept that. 
But I'm j- I'm saying, but I'm saying equally, the other chains have criticism as well. And what I'm doing here is factual academic speak, speech. Sorry. So this is it's not in any way. This isn't. You see, it isn't kind of detracting from the qualities of the prophets. If anything, it kind of emboldens them as the the great messengers they were that they were from us as human beings we they are the perfect example for us how can they be examples if they are not like us as human beings so i think this kind of i know uh taking this kind of factual speak and saying that well oh if you say this we're going to consider this disrespectful and we're going to call you a kafir now and you think well okay <laughs> i mean first of all that's so absurd secondly these are actually the narrations if i show you the hadith in bukhari and muslim and abu and muatta uh, where it says about the sacrum of all human beings can never be consumed you're going to say yeah but that's not factual if i show you the hadith of yusuf salam where they take out you say yeah but that's not that's metaphorical as well and you say well Okay, well, this one actually has a lot of problems, and even this narrator, this companion, they're not too sure what his name was, and and even this, and then uh, Abdurrahman ibn Yazid ibn Jabir has problems, Hussein al-Ju'afi in the chain has problems, all these things have problems, but even if we accept it, can't this be metaphorical? No, no, that can never be metaphorical. And you think, well, you know, Islam is much more vast than that, and the thing is that are these pe- what what are you what message are you ultimately i i understand you're giving a devotional uh, kind of respectful message but if the question is a factual objective question then you have to understand that for many people this could break their iman it's not like there's many people who are not content with being told things like oh by the way scholars anybody who's memorized the quran can never you know as a human being you can just leave him now on this table even after he's passed away because he's he's a, a saint his body will just stay like that because that to many people is just absurd like they won't accept that i mean why w- w- do people bury people then <laughs> i mean why do they do that because think about it all these saints and martyrs and all these great people why not just keep them there as examples you know to help people afterwards to kind of say hey did you want to know what that saint looked like there he is because you, as well as everybody else, knows that that's not how the laws that Allah has set in this world. The human body is the human body. It needs life. It needs nutrients. It needs oxygen. It needs these kind of things. You know, it's not. And and, and that, in any way, if anything, is it, it reaffirms the faith of people. And the irony is, these very same people who use this to say like like asrar now <laughs> our dhulqarnain of this age <laughs> who's found gog and magog he feels that oh this is disrespectful to say this yet he will say oh the prophet became clumsy by having becoming bewitched and yet the prophet married an a child and he feels that's not disrespectful he feels that saying that the prophet had a sexual uh, life and relationship with a, with a, with a child. Oh, but we're not going to call her a child. We're just going to call her a grown-up kid, like that. Like that makes it better, and and that stuff is utterly blasphemous. You're blaspheming against the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
you know, by and yet in a sense of kind of reactionary reverse bravado, they embrace that nonsense. And then they question actual things, right, to say, oh, well, this is a reason we're going to call such and such a kafir. Call anybody. And by the way, if you want, if people want to call me a kafir, call me a kafir all you want. <laughs> like I often say, this ain't your dad's deen. <laughs> you know, you can't chuck out whoever you want. So, guys, we went on quite a bit today. All right. Um, so I hope that... Uh, you know, but these were very important topics, so it kind of required the uh, extension. People, I think we've got to wrap it up with that. It's been one hell of a show. Orale, people, orale. <laughs> it's been awesome, as always. You guys have kind of just hacked it there. You've been through, <laughs> it's, i got to say, it's, uh, it's, it's been over two and a half hours now. So people, much love. Take very good care of yourselves. Uh, any messages people were saying about, look, reaching out to me and stuff like this. Um, I will say that, look, uh, Instagram, you can message me. Um, do subscribe to all my channels, people. What are you doing? <laughs> what is this miserliness? Like as well. It doesn't cost you anything when you're there. Feel free to like. I've got this. Uh, you can be a supporter on Facebook as well if you like. And guys, with that, my du'as, my kind du'as, take very good care of yourselves. Much love. Mwah. <laughs> Have a very good night wherever you are. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.